You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. Well, friends, uh, again, good morning to you, and woo, what a morning it's been already. Uh, It has been such a monumental day here in the life of our church, and it's been so exciting, and it gets even more exciting because we are actually uh, beginning to wrap up, uh, for those of you who are joining us for the first time here today, a sermon series that we've been in the last several weeks. The last several weeks, we've been in a sermon series called Ordo. Ordo is Latin for order, And what we've been doing over the last several weeks is exploring the nine different stages, the nine different phases, the nine different levels of the Christian life that make up the order of our Christian journey. Some of you may not have known this. You may have never heard it explained it this way. But if you actually look in Scripture and you look at our tradition, it actually spells out that there are uh, sort of significant moments and markers in our development that demonstrate that we're actually going somewhere in our relationship with Jesus. And so one of the things that we've been trying to do is sort of unpack each of them. What are they like? How do we know we're in them? And what things, what sort of spiritual diet should we incorporate in each of those stages so that we see the growth and development that God wants to enact in our lives? And so if this is the first time here or the first time you're hearing about this series, I want to encourage you to go to this website. So we created a website in-house called ordofaith.com, and it's got a whole bunch of resources and descriptions and exercises and spiritual disciplines to help aid you in your journey so that you're like, man, I want to, I want to actually feel like I'm progressing and maturing and deepening in my faith. That's exactly what this tool is for. And there's actually an assessment on this website that if you take it, it's got 70 questions. It takes you like 10 minutes. And it'll tell you, hey, based on what you share with us, we think you're probably in this stage of faith. And so as a result of that, we recommend spending some time here, finding this, including this in your faith, in your relationship with God. As I mentioned a couple moments ago, today we are wrapping up. uh, And so we're entering into, again, there's nine. uh, We're entering, starting today, we're entering into the last two stages of what we believe make up the Christian journey on this side of heaven. So we'll talk about the last one next week. And um, today, we're kind of, we're, we're in what we talked about last Sunday as the narrow stages of faith, the narrow stages of the Christian journey. What do I mean by that? Well, if you actually, when you look at the people who have taken, we've had close to 200 people already take this survey. For those who have taken it, we've found that most of the folks who have taken it, 70% of the folks who have taken it, and this is not uh, based off of age, this is just across the board. of those who have taken it are somewhere between stage one and stage five. And so what that means is, is that what we're going to talk about today, the stages that we're getting into today and next Sunday, are stages of faith or phases of faith that not many Christians are actually going to experience in this life. Now, just to be super clear about something, super clear about something. When we're talking about these narrow stages, again, these like last four, really, second conversion, friendship, kenosis, and consecration, we're not saying that these are not reached by many Christians because we're inadequate. It's not because none of us have what it takes to reach that level of depth when it comes to our relationship with God. But the reason is because the people in my life who I know who have gone on to this level of depth when it came to their relationship with God the thing that they all had in common is every single one of them, at one point in their journey or another, 
allowed their relationship with God to change. They allowed their relationship with God to evolve. They allowed their relationship with God to deepen and to go beyond what they've always known to be true and familiar and comfortable. It's kind of like this. Um, It reminds me a lot of married couples when they become empty nesters. So raise your hand if you are an empty nester and or have recently become an empty nester. You can always tell who the empty nesters are because they love pickleball. They love pickleball, okay? They're trying to find new ways to relate to each other. They're trying to find new ways to connect with each other. They don't have kids there anymore. They don't have the same rigorous structure. And so they're like, we got to find some other way to relate. Like, we got to find some way to connect with each other. And so they're out there every Saturday, 7 a.m., <sighs> just whooping everybody and saying, ah, oh, I love you. I love you. This is, this is good. We're bonding. This is great. But you who are empty nesters, you know this. You know that when that moment happened, you went through a season where you had to almost like relearn how to re-relate to one another. Because now it's just you most of the time at the house. And similarly, different, but similarly, uh, this is what I liken uh, to faith. That the people who reach true depth when it comes to their relationship with God, they are those who at one point or another said, I'm ready to this, for this relationship to evolve into something deeper, bigger, better than it has been up until this point. And so again, I just want to be super clear about something. These narrow stages we're talking about, really like six, seven, eight, and nine, the narrow stages of what we map out in the Christian journey. Most Christians, it's not that they don't reach these because they're inadequate. It's not because you don't have what it takes. It's not because you don't have enough faith. Everybody in this room and who's listening to this online, you have what it takes. The problem And as a pastor, I've observed this. It's just most Christians, I observe, just don't want their faith to change. They don't want their relationship with God to change. They're perfectly content doing the same things, praying the same way, listening to the same sermons, studying the same studies, all so that they can stay in the same place. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's where you've been lately. Maybe recently you've been like, gosh, I feel like I've been following Jesus for 10, 15, 20 years, and I actually feel like I don't have much to show for it compared over and against, not to speak ill of anybody, but someone who just shows up to church. It feels like we're doing the same things as they're doing. It feels like I'm studying the same things they're studying. Like, shouldn't I be in a different space, sphere, or level of depth in my relationship with God? Maybe you're here today. Maybe for you, faith and church has always been this sort of like, you feel like it goes in circles, and as a result of that, it's like, man, I don't, I just wonder some days if there's more. And if you came here looking for good news today, here's the good news. There is more. There's a whole lot more. And so today, we're going to keep moving. We're going to keep moving around this diagram, and we're going to move to stage eight. Uh, Stage eight is what we call the stage of kenosis. Stage of kenosis. It's a Greek word, and a Greek word found in our scripture for today. So if you have your Bibles, if you're watching this online, and you want to follow along uh, as we're sort of tracking here today in our conversation, go ahead and return back to the passage that Megan just read a moment ago. Uh, Megan read from the book of Philippians, chapter 2. If you don't know what Philippians is, it is a a book, it's a letter written by an early church leader to a church in Philippi that he helped plant, that he helped start. 
And so he's writing to these Christians and he's teaching them the, the core truths of the Christian faith. And he's in Philippi, he's teaching both young believers and veterans, seasoned believers. And so he's trying to map out for them what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus. And so he says this, he says very early on in Philippians chapter 2 that uh, you and I, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a disciple, you need to have the same attitude that Christ had. Which attitude is that? Go to verse 6 and 7. It says this, that Jesus was someone who was in the form of God, but did not consider being equal with God as something to exploit. He says, you are to have the same attitude as Jesus. If there was anyone in the world who could just go through life and say, no, you're here to serve me, you're here to give to me, you're here to sort of give me things. If there's anyone in the world who is deserving of that, it's him. But this guy didn't see his equality with God as something to exploit. Another translation says, didn't see his equality with God as something to be clung to. And so instead, he emptied himself for you, for me, for us. And the Greek word used for emptied, self-emptying, is kenosis. Kenosis refers to going about life. It's a Greek word that, goes, that talks about going about life, seeing life as an opportunity to give to others, to pour out yourself for others, to become less so that others can become more. And so let's just put it very simply. Put it very simply. What's happening here in Philippians chapter 2 is Paul is saying that what Jesus modeled for us is that we are living in our original design and in our fullest potential, when we finally learn that life is more about giving than receiving. We are living into our original design and our fullest, truest potential when we finally choose to live a life of giving instead of only seeking to receive. It's when you finally make that shift and it's actually way more important to you to not hold on to the gifts and the privileges and the blessings that have been entrusted to you, but you see those as things to be shared. The things, the life that you've been given, all that been, you've been entrusted with, you see it as just that, that you actually don't own your life. You don't own the things, but you've been called to manage those things for the sake of the kingdom. You've been entrusted with those things for the sake of the kingdom. There's a big distinction there. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. As you know what we're thinking. He just knows. He knows I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Kyle, that's great. Like, that's, that's awesome. But I actually, like, I actually didn't have to wait till the later stages of faith to learn that. Like, I learned that early on. Like, I didn't have to wait till stage eight or whatever you just said. Like, I learned that early on in my development that Christians are supposed to give instead of receive. We're supposed to serve, not be served. And so... I don't, like, I already knew that. And that's true. If you've been in church for any length of time, like, whether you even just, like, did a stop by at church, you got exposure to this theme, that Christians are supposedly the people who are supposed to be those who choose to give most of the time rather than receive. That's true. But there's a really, 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 really big difference between those early in their development and those who are later in their development. What I mean by that is early in your development, uh, you know you should give rather than receive. 
But those who are in stage eight, those who are in kenosis, those who are in, their really, in a really deep relationship with God, they not only know it, they want to be that kind of person. An internal shift has occurred where they not only know how they should live, how they're supposed to live, they want to live that way. They prefer to be that person. I know I should replace my afternoon Coke Zero with water. But until I want to do it, I ain't gonna do it. And quite frankly, why would you? Coke Zero is a miracle. It is soda with zero calories. It's a gift from God, is the way I see it. And so, you're welcome. Water to wine, Coke to Coke Zero. Same, 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 same. Thank you, Lord. Um, but there's a big difference, and you know this to be true. There's a big difference between knowing how you should live and actually wanting to live that way, preferring to be that kind of person. I say it this way. I say one of the big shifts that happens in Christian life, the deeper you get, is you move from a Christianity that is done out of obligation to orientation. Catch the difference? The first half of our spiritual lives so often is, well, I know I need to pray because I should, and I should go to church, and I should go and do the mission things, and I should hear all of that. That's obligation-based relationship. But eventually, the goal is you reach a point in your relationship where there's been a fundamentally reorientation of what's most important to you, what matters to you, what you truly want out of life. And now, you're at a place where you want what God wants. You're not over here like, I know I should. You want what God wants. It reminds me of uh, one of my favorite rom-coms, a movie called um, The Breakup. Anybody see this one? Vince Vaughn, anybody? Jennifer Aniston, anybody? Come on! 9 a.m. had people everywhere watching this movie. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. One of my favorite scenes of this entire movie. So, spoiler alert, they break up. Um, In route to their breakup, They have this big blow-up fight because he didn't do the dishes, and it's like one of the laundry list of things he said he was going to do, and he didn't do it. And so anyway, in this scene, she says, like, I'm mad because you didn't do them, but it's like, I want you to want to do the dishes. To which Vince Vaughn's character replies, why on earth would I want to do the dishes? Anybody else have this argument in your own marriage? That's okay, safe space. We can talk about this, right? Okay, you got some places in your marriage where you're just like, I want you to want to uh, do the laundry. Like, why on God's green earth would I wake up and say, woo, laundry, let's do it, right? And it's because people in that mindset, when we are in that mindset, we have not yet made that shift. We've not yet made the shift to see not just the thing, but the thing behind the thing, is what I like to say. We don't in that situation with the movie, he can't see that it's not at the dishes. It's her. And very similarly, when you map that onto faith, at some point, we have to make a shift in my relationship with God where I'm not just doing things because I feel obligated to do them for Jesus. But at some point, I've got to reach a place where I do them, I'm in this thing because I, I want him. I want his life in me. And so some of you are probably sitting there thinking, like, man, Kyle, that sounds great. Like, I, 
it's not, it's not my faith, it's not my life, Kyle. Like, I, I feel like, you know, some days I have these moments where I wake up and it's like it just comes very easily. I want what God wants. But then the other 75% of the week, I have to, like, force myself against my will to, like, come on, we got to pray. Come on, we got to do good deeds. Come on, I got to serve this person who is stepping out in need. And so I don't know how to make that shift. I don't know how to make that shift. And the only way I know how to make this shift is by discipline. That's the answer. That's the only answer I know, is discipline. One of my favorite sayings goes like this. It says, today's disciplines will become tomorrow's habits. Today's disciplines will become tomorrow's habits. I don't care how much you want to be a more patient person or a more forgiving person or a more merciful person. I don't care how much you want to be that person until you are enacting disciplines day in and day out that will produce that type of fruit in you and make you into that kind of person. You will just want it, but it'll never come true. Today's disciplines are tomorrow's habits. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about the disciplines that lead to this kind of life, that lead to this kind of faith, that lead to this kind of kenosis existence with God, this really deep relationship with Jesus. The first discipline is this. And again, I want to encourage you, if you haven't checked out the website, go and check it out because we wrote up a lot of these things and gave sample exercises for how you can incorporate these things into your diet. But the first thing that I always say to folks who are searching for that, searching for that depth uh, in their experience and their relationship with God is the first thing that I encourage them to do and to be about is investment. Investment. So many of us, so many of us, we're almost trained to not invest your life in other people and in God and the causes of God, but you're almost trained by culture to just preserve your life, to play it safe, to just manage and take care of your life. But that's actually not kingdom. That's not Jesus' way. Jesus said, I, I, I gave you this life for a reason. Each and every one of you, I've given you a life for a reason, for meaning, and I want you to use it for the causes that I'm about in the world. We get this from the Gospels. Jesus tells this parable of this guy who shows up to his servants one day. He gives them a bunch of talents. He leaves town, and then he comes back to check on them to see what they did with the talents that he entrusted to them. And you want to know who got judged the most harshly? It was the dude who played it safe. It was the guy that was like, I'm just going like, to bury it in the ground until you come back, and I'll just give it right back. Because <laughs> I don't want like, to run the risk of like, investing in the wrong thing or you know, doing something wrong with it, and so I'm just going like, to stuff in the ground and give it right back to you. Jesus in this story says that it's actually possible. It's actually possible to lose your life by trying so dang hard to keep it. And so part of what we are called to do, called to be, are people who invest our lives, invest our time, our energy in the causes of God. And I can always tell, I can, <laughs> I can always tell uh, those folks who are ready to hear that and who are not. I can always tell when I talk to people who are ready to hear that or not. And it's always, uh, this is always a clear indicator. The people who are ready to hear that and ready to invest their lives in something bigger and better than themselves and, like, and actually do it, like actually invest their lives, are those uh, who uh, they don't complain as much. It's always a key indicator for me. They don't complain as much. So for example, here at church, they're not the people who come to me and they 
complain uh, when church doesn't match all of their personal preferences. They're not the person who comes to me and says, well, you know, Kyle really enjoyed church today, but like carpet color, like, wow, abysmal. Um, or like, yeah, the music was good, but like, I don't know, the second song, I just wasn't feeling it. Like I was really needing like a more of an upbeat sort of situation. So if you can do that next week, that'd be great. Um, or the sermon was 33 minutes. If we can shave that down to 31, really be helpful uh, to me and my personal calendar. Um, the people who've made this shift are not the ones who have that conversation with me. And the reason why is because they're too daggum focused on leveraging the gifts and the talents that God has given them to be a part of the mission here. Instead of pointing out all the places where it's not enabling them to receive what it is they want. In other words, they see church as, yeah, this is the place where I come and I receive uh, the message, I come and receive, but when I come on a Sunday where I don't get what I receive, it's my responsibility to go find what I need, and it's always my responsibility every week to participate and contribute to what God is doing in and through here. And so, friends, this is just a good question to sort of lay out there for your life, not just as it relates to church. Let's just apply it to everywhere, not only with church, but with with your life, with your, your relationship with work, your relationship with your kids' school, your relationship with doctors that you go and visit. Like, are you someone who is more likely to complain or contribute? It's just a good question to ask of our lives. Are you right now more likely to complain about an issue or contribute to a solution? Those who are in these deeper stages, they're done with the former and they're ready for the latter. Let's go to the second one. Second thing that we also recommend for folks, and, and we see, again, we see this in Scripture, we see this all over the place, that uh, one of the things that uh, folks with a really, really uh, a deep sense of faith and purpose in life, another thing that they do uh, is they not only are ready to invest their life instead of just, like, preserving it and playing it safe, but they are also those who are ready to step out and embody radical hospitality. That's another key indicator of people who are in stage eight. They possess radical hospitality. Where do we get this? Again, we get this from Philippians chapter 2. What does, Jesus, or what does Paul say about Jesus? He says this. He says, you are to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus had. And he said, so one of the implications of that is this, that you ought to live this way. Verse 4, he says, instead of each person just watching out for their own good, you should watch out for what is better for others. One, another translation reads uh, a lot more directly. It says it this way. It says, Instead of just looking out for whatever you want, you should treat every person as better than you. That's what another translation reads about chapter 2, verse 4. That you and I are called to possess this radical hospitality, this constant willingness to step out and serve and care for and help someone in need. It almost, um, so it reminds me of uh, so one of the little hacks I made early. Uh, so like I was early in my journey, I feel like I was trying to make this shift. I was trying to make this jump and I couldn't do it for the life of me. And so I made this hack in my little, like a mental hack in my brain. And what I did was I said, okay, when people come to me in need, when people need something from me, when someone is, uh, it is obvious, God has brought them in my direction to serve or care for in some way. I'm going to start seeing every single person in need, all of them, my default sort of mode. My default mode is I'm going to treat every single person in need as Jesus in disguise. That's going to be my default mode. I'm going to treat every single person in need 
as Jesus in disguise. Why? Because I would rather be found at the end of my life having been too hospitable than not enough. What does Matthew chapter 25 say? Jesus says to people like you, people like me, he says, oh my gosh, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. And then their response is like, I don't, um, I don't remember seeing you. Was there like a parade or did you like, did you come through a back door? Or like, I don't, I don't, you didn't, I didn't. What does Jesus say? He's like, oh, what you did for the least of these, you were doing for me. It reminds me of the show. Anybody else watch the show, Undercover Boss? Anybody else watch that show? Uh, I loved that show. Um, and I loved it because of how cringy and awkward it got, uh, especially when um, you'd have those employees who were just abysmal to the sea. Like, they were just, like, so mean. They would be, like... So if you don't know the premise of the show, Undercover Boss, it's kind of self-explanatory. The CEO of a really big company sort of takes a, like goes on the ground and works retail or works at a McDonald's or whatever to get a feel of what it's life, what, what life is like on the ground. And almost always the employees were so mean to him or her. And they were just like, they would be like, oh yeah, you got toilet duty. Like stay in there until it's clean. Like get in there and all that. And then the end of the episode, it was so awkward when those employees were like, yeah, this guy stinks. Like he's the worst. And like, oh, this is actually the CEO of Home, Home Depot. So uh, yeah, I'm going to introduce you. Uh, here he is. And to watch them just be so mortified was uh, embarrassingly just brought me a lot of pleasure. Anyway, um, <laughs> it was also really cool, though, to watch the employees who didn't react that way. Sometimes you see the employees who would take care of the CEO. They'd be like, he don't, he don't know what he's doing. Like, okay, so let's just, let's empathize. Let's show him the ropes. Let's try to take care of him. Let's try to show him the way. And what would happen to that employee at the end of every episode? They'd get a straight crazy raise and get an awesome bump, right? Like, it was amazing to watch this unfold. And so I remember watching one of these episodes, and I'm a pastor, so I'm always looking for illustrations and analogies and comparisons to the Christian life. And I remember watching that, and I was like, good gracious. Like, I, I'd rather be that type of employee. Like, I would rather show up in the life to come, and Jesus was actually like, tailoring down my hospitality. Like, I would rather Jesus be throttling it down, being like, yeah, you actually didn't have to welcome all of those people. Like, you didn't, you didn't have to do all of that. Like, chill out, calm down for a second, okay? Like, it's all right. You can enjoy yourself for a second. Like, I would rather Jesus have that conversation with me than say, I came to you repeatedly over and over and over again, and you wouldn't give me the time of day. I didn't see you, Jesus, what you did for the least of these you did for me. And so, again, this brings another a really good question to the forefront, a really good question just to apply to your life, let it sit with your life, uh, is that when you leave this place and you go into your work week and you go into all the activities waiting for you this week, when people come to you in need, what do you see? What do you see first? Do you see an inconvenience? Or do you see an incarnation? What do you see first? Oh, gosh, this is going to take so much time. This is messing up my schedule. I'm like, no, I don't have time for this. Or do you take a deep breath and say, maybe, just maybe, this is my Savior paying me a little visit. The third one is this. 
The third thing that makes up, uh, again, persons who have reached this level of depth of faith and spirituality is that they are folks who are not only incredibly committed to investing instead of preserving their life, they are someone who is committed to radical hospitality rather than just sort of like, you know, being stingy with the way in which they welcome and care for other people. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. And the third thing that they're about the third thing that they're about, another really key indicator, a key discipline that they are committed to in their life and faith is refinement. Refinement. People in stage eight are serious about refining the impurities in their life, refining the parts of their heart and their spirit that still, after all these years, are not aligned with the heart of Jesus. Now, again, as you read that, you're probably thinking to yourself, like, oh, well, that isn't, doesn't that one show up earlier, too? Like, that's, that is, you don't have to wait till stage eight for that. It feels like on day one, God was refining things that I was doing that were not very Christian, not very kind, not very gracious, not very selfless. Like, I've been, I feel like I was starting to get refined on day one, and that's true. But once again, there's a difference. There's a really big difference between early spiritual refinement in later spiritual refinement. You see, friends, uh, the first difference is this. The, in early refinement, the things that God's trying to refine, correct, change, transform, heal. I feel like I'm a thor- thesaurus right now, just throwing out synonyms so that you know what uh, refining means. The early type of refining that God does is more based on your actions and your behavior. So it's more outward. It's more outward. looks like this. Right, Kevin? So early refinement looks like, this is, this is all of these, this is like direct refinement. So God is saying, hey, probably shouldn't talk like that. Hey, probably shouldn't act like that. Hey, probably shouldn't be in relationships like that. Like it's really actions and behavior based. But those who are experiencing later, deeper refinement are not only finding their actions and their behavior being refined and challenged by God, but they're finding their motives and their intentions challenged by God. In this stage of faith, you begin to hear the gentle voice of God not only asking, what are you doing, but you hear the voice of God asking, why are you doing that? Why are you so anxious about that, committed to that, obsessive about that? Why? you begin to find that it's actually really, really possible to do good Christian things for very unchristian reasons. For example, it is totally possible to pray in an unchristian, selfish way. It is possible uh, to not only pray selfishly, but it's possible to serve narcissistically. You seen people like this? They're doing a service project, and they're like, hey, take a picture of me while I'm serving so I can post it on social and other people can see me. <laughs> I don't want to get my shoes too dirty, though. So did you get the picture? Okay, we got to go. All right, I got to go. It's possible to be a person of professing your faith, talking about your faith openly, but doing it in a manipulative manner. Talking down to people, judging people, shaming people. Friends, it's possible if you never do that interior work, that interior interrogation, 
you might, you may very well just wake up one day and go, am I here because I actually want Jesus or am I here because I, I actually just want his stuff? Like, I want his real estate in heaven. Like, that sounds, like, super sweet. Like, I want all of his blessings. Like, I want that stuff. Stage eight is when Jesus begins to ask. Not just what are you doing, but why? Why? What's the why behind what you do and where you're trying to go? In the second shift, so I said there's two, two big differences between early refinement and later refinement. The other big difference between later refinement is uh, not only in depth, but it's in receptivity. So early in my journey, when God tried to refine something in me, I was very reluctant to listen to it, very obstinate. I pretended it wasn't happening. So I'd just be like, yep, that's great. Yep, I know. I was being prideful. I know I was being selfish. Okay, let's move on. I don't want to talk about it anymore. And now, when you get later in life, you're not you're not resistant anymore to when God is trying to refine pieces and parts of your soul. You actually want it. You seek it. You're actually proactive in trying to find and discover and illuminate the areas of your heart, your mind, and your life that are not in alignment with Jesus. And some of you are sitting there thinking, why on God's green earth would I want to know that information. Like, I understand, like, I have to know that information. I understand I have to, that has to be revealed to me. But why would I go and seek that out? That just feels like a really quick day to ruin, a really quick way to ruin my day. Like, it feels like just seeking that information is not going to lead to anything but unhappiness and depression. Like, oh my gosh, look how far I have yet to go. And I'm not anywhere close to the person I want to be. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Some people are ready. It's because some people have made a choice. They've made a choice. They've made a choice that they would rather live temporarily in an uncomfortable truth than permanently in a very comfortable lie. That's the difference. Those who have reached this level of depth with God, they made a very, very costly decision that they would rather live temporarily in uncomfortable truths than permanently in comfortable and familiar lives. One of the ways in which I try to embody this in my own life is, uh, on occasion, I don't do this all the time, but on occasion... um, I'll pull uh, my children aside. So I'll do like a daddy-daughter date or a daddy-son date or something like that and take them out for donuts, get them hopped up on sugar and say, hey, mom wants to hang out. Uh, Just kidding. Um, But what we do on those conversations is we talk about things, not that I always talk to them about, but things I never get a chance to ask them. And so part of what I'll do on occasion, it probably does a couple times a year. A couple times a year, I'll check in with my kiddos and I'll ask them questions like, you know, what is something that uh, you really want to try that you haven't had a chance to try yet? Or what is something that you're really excited about or something that made you really happy lately? And then I turn it inward, and I will ask them questions. A couple times a year, I'll ask them, so I want to ask you some other questions, sweetheart. I want to ask you, like, what? This is really important because Daddy wants to be the best Daddy he can, and Daddy loves you so, so much. What are some things that Daddy has done that has made you mad sometimes? 
What are things that daddy does that makes you sad? What are things that daddy does that makes you scared? Where can daddy do better? Now, for those of you who have kids, uh, I would not suggest this because those little turds will be honest. Very honest. But the reason why I do that every now and again is because I promised them what I stood at that font, just like you parents did today. I promised them that I would try as hard as I could to model for them what is a faithful life to Jesus. And the other reason I do it is because I think at the end of the day, I would just rather, I would so much rather be uncomfortable with the truth now than find out many years in the future that my behavior was contributing to their insecurity, their anxiety, their depression, their pain. In a word, in those moments, it's because I would much, much rather be free than be comfortable. I'd much rather the people who rely upon me or influenced by me, I'd much rather them be free than be comfortable. And so the last question I'm going to leave you with is that one. And it's yours. You get to sit with it. You get to make the choice. Ultimately, it's up to you what's more important. Would you rather be comfortable, stationary, in a place that's familiar? Or would you rather know the truth and have that truth set you free? Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.